back with a with a heavy heart for numerous reasons for um, for the last episode related to Euro twenty twenty slash twenty twenty one, and I say for numerous reasons because I quite enjoyed the tournament. Um, didn't work out as planned. Football didn't come home again, but also um, with your good self, Dad. Hello. Um, hello. Man. It's been uh, I, I guess. Um, as difficult as it is, we don't get to go down the pub and have a pint, as we said at the outset, but we seem to have found a different way to enjoy the football together. And it's been quite, not that we're just going to stop talking after we do this, but it has been very enjoyable for, for that reason as well, hasn't it? Um, happy Tuesday. How are you? Good, thank you very much. Um, yeah, it would have been nice to um, also think back on, the, on this, uh, our chats with, you know, the memory of a, a glorious end to it but um, despite that it's dubbing fun <laughs> yeah definitely and um, what are your thoughts on the tournament overall because I guess as the, the demi home nation it's been um, well pro- it's probably quite a bit to unpack today but there's um, it's been quite a mixed bag hasn't it you know there's the sort of been what's been happening out in the community out in the world out in society how the sort of pendulums swung with the national mood, as it always does in tournaments, and the success of the team, the togetherness of the team, and then some of the scenes surrounding um, surrounding Sunday's game, which we'll probably talk about a little bit later on. But it's been a lot to take in, hasn't it? Yeah, I think in general it's been a success. And, you know, I mean, the main thing is, was, was the football any good? And the football was quite watchable and... Um, Know, more immediately, it's obviously, you know, you look back, well, when you look back in a few years' time, will you remember it as such? But my, 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 my gut feeling is that you, you're going to think back in 10 years and think the Euros were, were quite an interesting tournament with some, you know, d- decent football. Um, I think um, one of the negatives was, was, was always going to be the the format in the sense that they played it in the different cities, which was going to uh, skew things a little bit. And uh, uh, you get this thing, don't you, in politics where people try to bury bad news. Um, you know, like on, on, on 9-11 or something, somebody had announced that they were, you know, sacking out the workforce or something like that. Hmm. Um, and Alexander Seferin um, tried that, I think, on Friday when he sort of said, well, oh, we're not doing this again. It's been totally, it's been a total... Totally unfair. Um, various teams have suffered. It's not been a level play thing. We're not doing this again. So I noticed he sort of just sort of gently slipped that in under the radar. Really, um, if he'd said that like the week before the tournament started, this is going to be crap. I know it's unfair. He would have been absolutely hammered. But because you know there was general euphoria, certainly in this country, he he, he got off very lightly there. But he did. He was thankfully it won't happen again. He probably got off very lightly in most places because. Certainly, as you you look at the big echo chamber of, say, Twitter or Facebook, for example, you know, usually, and, um, you know, this is often because of how we respond and behave around such big events and the history that England has on the national stage and history generally. When we do get on the verge of some success, most of the world or Europe's kind of against us anyway, and Brexit poured a bit of fuel on the on the fire with that. I imagine he got off with it lightly because most of the other nations probably looked at it and said. Good. It's been a pain in the ass, and you know, obviously, managing crowd changes, COVID, um, and the fact that you know the tournament where they've done this, it's England that seem to seem to have favoured. They probably look at it and say, well, we don't want the team to be as heavily favoured in what should be a fairly equal format. But the other thing for me is the size of the tournament as well. I mean, you've, we've had to play thirty six games to eliminate just a third of the teams, as far as the group stage is concerned. When you do the maths that way. And then there's the carbon footprint side of it as well, because you know, in a non-COVID world, if you repeat this format, it's not a very yeah. green format, is it? Of course not. And um, it, before the tournament, when it's that that setup where you're you're only knocking out twelve teams in the first round, and you know half the tournament is is um, played out just to achieve that, that's a, that's usually a little bit. Um, you know, unappetising, but as I say, the the general uh, you know, type of football, and you know, you know, there was more interesting football than not. So they happened to sort of ride that one out this time, but it, it can easily go wrong. That yeah, um, 
And, and again, when I first saw the headline that he was talking about this won't happen again, I thought he meant that. But he was only going on about the knowing you April, let's expand it to 48, won't they? Um, at some point. But um, carbon footprint is another matter, yeah. So uh, just because he said that, it doesn't really, you know, the whole thing will probably be moved to Azerbaijan at the first opportunity next time. People won't be happy with that either. Um, maybe we will get Richard Branson involved and we'll move it to uh, wherever he's going to, you know, station the human race in the future. <laughs> Yeah, we said as soon as he got up to space, he returned very quickly because there was no one up there to give him any attention. Uh, I, did, I did like that one. Speaking of things I spotted, just on reflecting on the tournament, you know, I did see something good on David Squires, who you know who I like, the Guardian cartoonist. He put out yesterday, he said, I envy my wife that she doesn't really like football. And I'm not trying to be stereotypical here that husbands do and men don't, but in their particular household, that seems to be the way. And he said... Uh, as the game ended, as he was disappointed, she said, well, you know, at least you got an extra half an hour, at least it went on longer, so you had more football to watch. <laughs> and he just was sort of, you know, it was just, you could read between the lines, his head shaking. And on Sunday morning, um, Keely and I went out for a coffee, and um, the day before, actually, um, we had two defeats, our, our local Saturday team. And on Sunday, we won a local derby. There's a bit of history there as well, which I, I won't digress into now. And uh, one of the lads posted, you might have seen Patrice Evra's been pretty active on his Instagram and things like that. He does this, you know, I love this game. And he did this little sketch in his car in the England shirt with the fish and chips. It's coming home, it's coming home to, I think, a Jamiroquai song. So one of the lads does in our changing rooms when we win, and it's not topical, a lot of English lads at the club, we do Vindaloo. And one of our boys is going back home. Sadly, his mum's got cancer and he's decided to go back and be with her and what have you. So he got up in the middle of the circle and he's pouring water all over everybody and somebody films it and basically tags Patrice Evra in it. Patrice Evra wakes up Saturday morning, goes on his phone, he sees what he's been tagged in and he reposts it. So we've had Saturday, you know, we win this local derby, football's back after, you know, a little COVID hiatus in Victoria, in Melbourne. Patrice Evra tags you in this, in this video, you know, so the lads are buzzing in the pub afterwards. We're driving for coffee and I've got Atomic Kitten on and three lions and I'm, I'm telling Keely, you know, about this in present tense, all this really great stuff and how good it is. And she says, it's a religion, isn't it? And I thought, yes. She's, not that I ever doubted that she's got it, but that just confirms it. And then 24 hours yeah. later, you know, walking out the pub, yeah. a little bit tipsy at seven in the morning. It's just awful. Well, if you, if you ever did, uh, you ever weren't with Keely, I'm sure the first woman you wouldn't go to would be David Squire's missus. <laughs> well... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know. You never know. So we didn't manage to speak um, in reflection of the of the semi-finals, but we should probably unpack those a little bit there because one thing you spoke about, particularly with England, was in the Ukraine game. You know, maybe going for Plan B and going for the jugular a little bit. They obviously did that. Um, I felt the Denmark game was probably a little bit of a hybrid, but as it turned out, you know, these both of these games I think were there for England to win, particularly with the the final. Um, you know, there's some evolution with Southgate in the sense of he at least attempts to, to try to do something, but he maybe didn't have the boldness in the end to go for the game. Yeah. And you'd expect yeah. Mancini to probably have that edge. He's more experienced yeah. and he arguably has got yeah. a more experienced squad. But I can't help but think maybe if we'd have done that with Denmark, it might have given us more confidence to, to, to do it with Italy. What did you make of the, the Denmark game, first of all, and how you know we ended up going to extra time and how that played out? Well, they sort of managed that game fairly well, didn't they? I mean, obviously, Simon conceded a goal, and um, that, it, that was the time to show what they were made of. And you know, the response was probably about as uh, you know impressive as you'd want it to be or expect it to be. And um, you know, that, that that was quite a decent effort, really, because you know, Denmark weren't for various reasons. Mm -hmm weren't going to go away and uh, you know they had their moments I suppose it was a little bit a little bit more like somebody's game in reverse in the sense that Italy tended either side of half time Italy must have had about 75% possession for a good half hour and it was probably a little bit more role reversal in the semi-final we, we had more of the ball but um, you know we never sort of felt them out of it and uh, so they had to be dealt with so um, I thought that was Know, relatively encouraging 
way of getting over the semi-final um, mental block. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. What did you think to um, to the Damsgaard free kick? He hit it well, didn't he? He hit it well. You sort of half thought that, you know, in an ideal world, on one on another given day, it, it wasn't unsavable. But at the same time, I'm going to give him credit for credit, and I, I suppose it shows how well he hit it that he ended up so close to goal, but yet goal still couldn't really do much about it. And um, Pickford's not exactly been in bad form, so yeah, and they've been rare, aren't they? They were rare. They were rare free kick goals they were but that ball clearly moves not to excuse some of the howling mistakes that we've seen but um, I've seen a lot of keepers you know tend to opt for the punch rather than the catch um, so it can definitely swerve a little bit and um, Pickford takes some beating you know as you said they finally conceded and probably Denmark was his, his shakiest game and I heard a lot of people say afterwards you know here we go again you know that's you know probably going to put some nerves in the camp but he was going to make any mistakes or half mistakes. It was the game to get him out of the way for because he was he was he was, he was fairly capable um, in, in in the final. Um, it, it has to be said, but I thought the way we attacked was quite good in the in the Denmark game. There was something to be built on in the Italy game because the move for the own goal um, for the Char own goal, you know, was a really nice move, and so was the move that created the penalty. Um, very controversial as it was, and. For me, I've seen those given and I've seen those not given. I think when it comes down to VAR, VAR's job is to decide, you know, is it a clear and obvious error? And I don't think the refs made a clear and obvious error in giving it, have they really? So it's been an education piece for the Premier League in how VAR's used because VAR's often been deployed to totally overturn decisions in the Premier League. And yeah, I think in, in our country, our game, your country, Probably got to take stock of that a little bit after that decision, wouldn't you agree? I would personally, if if I had the power, I'd give the Premier League a month of the of the new season, upcoming season, to use VAR like it was used in the Euros, and if they can if they still carry on dissecting every coffin's bit of a challenge, just to look for a nuance in a challenge to to overturn the referee's decision and then overturn it, um, sometimes quite often. To scrap it, because yeah, of course that wasn't a penalty, but was it a clear and obvious error? You could see why the referee had given it. Um, clear and obvious error in that case would have been, um, you know, massive daylight between the players, and Sterling had dived, and he, you know, and a, a three-year-old could see it. There was a just something of a coming together of two or three players, um, which wasn't a foul anywhere on the pitch. But the ref obviously reacted to something that he saw, and he he saw players pushing together, and that's not a clear obvious error. It's not a penalty, but it's not a clear obvious error, so it, it it stays a penalty. Yeah, I mean, generally the referee in standards they seem to have been uh, taken very well. You know, read it in articles, punditry that I watch at the same time as well. Obviously, we've got a lot of foreign managers in the Premier League now. Do you think having foreign referees in the Premier League would make a difference, or do you think the way that fans scrutinise, um, you know, referees' decisions and the media scrutinises referees' decisions in England, it's not going to make a difference because the 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 analysis of the game there is so forensic. I guess in a way, I'm, I'm borderline defending how VAR is deployed in the UK because if they don't overturn decisions, you know, the damned if they do and the damned if they don't, the way that refereeing decisions are forensically analysed there. Would foreign refs, for which there have been many good ones in this tournament, would it make a difference? Or is that just the world that we live in in England about how we treat it, referees and the decisions? I think it would make a difference if those referees took, adopted the policy of using VAR like they have here. Um, we never heard once, did we? I don't remember anyway, who the fourth ref was, who the ref was at the Euro Stockley Park. Nearly every time, in every weekend or every round of games, in, even in, almost in every game, you're hearing who the referee is who's making a decision at Stockley Park, mm. and never, never should a referee be less anonymous than there. Clearly, if it's a mistake, then that referee at Stockley Park needs to be accountable and, and you know, sifted out. But you shouldn't be hearing who they are. It should be, you know, a, a rapid decision of was it an obvious mistake? Move on. 
So you could do it a few ways. You could you could get, bring in foreign referees on mass and ask them to. You could you know try and get the referees or the, or the fourth officials who we don't know who they were in the Euros. Employ them, you know, use them as a team to be the VARs mm. at Stockley Park because mm. um, they didn't. Because I think they probably. I forget which game it was, but it was around about the round of 16 where there was a, a shocking error. But that, there was literally only one um, where there was an obvious mistake and it wasn't overturned. And the rest of the time they got it right. So if they can do it right, just use them maybe. Mm. <laughs> you know, these experts who know what they do. don't need to be an expert. You just need to apply the, the system as it's meant to be. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, the answer is it would make a difference as long as you didn't get somebody like Mike Dean telling him that they had to do everything this way. Indeed. Mike Dean. Um, Mike Riley, rather. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Obviously, the day before, Italy made the way to the final as well. He knocked out Spain on penalties. Poor Alvaro Morata, what a tournament he's had. He goes from hero to... I mean, you think... We've probably got to, we've got to talk about some of this abuse that's been floating around of the three English lads that missed. Credit to the two that scored. It's Harry Maguire, what a penalty. Um, but Morata... Hero to villain, hero to villain, hero to villain. I mean, as anybody had as an eventful tournament as him, scoring the equaliser in the very same game, forcing extra time, and then missing the decisive penalty. I mean, you wouldn't want to be spending a day inside his head at the moment, would you? It's probably a horrible place. Yeah, he had a lot on his plate. Um, he was obviously doing his best, and you know, he was one of one of the guys who, uh, you know, will remember it for the wrong reasons. Um, and that, then he's got to go back and play in Serie A but then again he'll probably be relieved he don't have to play in Spain for, for the next 12 months so maybe that's a good thing yeah possibly less of the two evils possibly I mean the writing was on the wall wasn't it Italy draw 1-1 and go to penalties uh, they set themselves up very well for the final uh, it seemed it seemed in the end and with the final God England started absolutely fantastically and you couldn't have, the, the start was almost too good because <coughs> Very difficult to score once, let alone twice against Italy. It felt like we got our goal and that was it. And after about mm. 20 minutes, the table turned really quickly, didn't it? They just sort of started to edge the way back into the game. And what Mancini mm. must have said and how he sort of revitalised them at half-time was, I've got to say, a bit of a masterclass to, by our old friend, wasn't it? Yeah, whenever, whenever a team scores too early, it, scores very early. It, it usually crosses your mind, have you scored too early? Um, and it didn't on Sunday. Because there was too much going on, I suppose. But yeah, we probably did, didn't we? In the end, and um, perhaps if we'd scored in the forty-seventh minute, we might have won that game. But we scored in the second minute, and it was a factor. But yeah, no, Mancini, he was more proactive than Southgate on the day, wasn't he? Um, not that you always have to change things, but on this occasion, Southgate did need to change things, and he didn't quickly enough. And Mancini just, he just. Begged maybe people on yellows or whatever it might have been but you know he, he was just constantly trying to you know send new fresh legs on or send new guys on to to give it to, to approach it a different way and he you know he, he maybe I think maybe that's partly down to their squad was probably a bit more the sum of its parts wasn't it whereas Southgate clearly had certain people who he wasn't he was never going to substitute. Um, and you never get that feeling with Mancini that there was that one particular player out there who was probably there probably were one or two like a variety of somebody. But you know, he you know he took Mobile off, for instance, and you know he was he's a fairly big name player. Yeah, and just gave somebody else a chance. With Chiro Mobley, I think it was the fact that he took him off very early as well. And I don't want to take too much away from Southgate here because. You know, somebody asked me before, did you make the wrong decisions in the game? Arguably, you might have done, but there's this you know, sense of Englishness when it comes to football that created the game and we should play it a certain way. And if Southgate had have tried to play the game that way that the public perhaps always wants them to, we wouldn't have got that far. I think that's a reality. We had to be pragmatic at times, and for that, the best team won the tournament because they pretty much played how they wanted to play for seven games, no matter who they came up against. So not no qualms yeah. who wins the tournament. You know, can totally accept that, but... It's obviously hard when you get so close and within a whisker. But I, I, for me, I felt the way he, he changed to the three at the back and I thought that was bold, but I could see there was a second system in place if he needed to change it. You know, Mount, for me, isn't as impactful 
Again, I'm biased as, say, Phil Foden. Um, he's not as impactful as Jack Grealish, and I'm not taking away anything away from Mason Mount. He's a fantastic player, but he's probably got that versatility if England go from the three at the back you know, into a 3-4-3, three, three, and he plays you know, bona fide flat 3-4-3, three, three, and he plays right in the middle of the park. Or if you go to 4-3-3, three, three, and he plays in, in the hole, whereas I think some of those other lads don't. And eventually, that's what Southgate did. But I think what the big challenge was, Chiesa was obviously the main threat. You know, he's been fantastic for Italy throughout. And every time he got the ball, it looked like something was going to happen. And Southgate kind of had these two dilemmas. How do I kick on and win the game? Because Italy are there to be got at. But how do I stop this guy? And I think when Chiesa went off injured, that was really the moment to strike. And we started to see, for me, some quite strange substitutions. Henderson came on for tired legs. Declan Rice was... You know, you look at Chiesa, they were building attacks around him. They were looking for him, whereas... While Declan Rice was fantastic when he won the ball, it was, let's win it and just see how far I can get. And he did a great job of getting territory, if you want to use a rugby union term, but there wasn't really any synchronised plan of attack when in, after those transitions. Kane sort of went missing a little bit more and wasn't dropping into that hole as he did quite successfully in Denmark. And they seemed to sort of, you know, they're a smart team with very smart, wily defenders. They seemed to figure out what Sterling's threat was and... Obviously, he tried to tinker with it with bringing on a few other lads, but in the end, he kind of brought all of them on and didn't really do anything around any one player in particular. And from then on in, the game just kind of wound down a bit, didn't it? Yeah, you're right. Summed up very well there um, in detail. And um, But there's just a sense, um, yeah, like you say, of not grasping that moment. Um <clears throat> Yeah, I was surprised when Rice came off because he he was at least getting us up the field and great as well as it was, I thought out of the two of them, you know, keep Rice on and at least he was getting us up the field and it was like a case of and then perhaps that was the moment where you needed Grealish because then he can offload the ball to Grealish and Green can do what Grealish does. You know, and Mount wasn't playing very well and and um you know, and, and Sterling sadly is has become untouchable and he, he, he should have used him less towards the end of the tournament and he, he wasn't able to do that much as he was, he was brilliant in getting us where we were and yeah this is the issue in Southgate I suppose um, and a friend of mine pointed out yesterday that if you look at the Croatia game from three years ago England scored after five minutes not two minutes on Sunday Croatia equalised after 65 minutes, 68 minutes, not 67. And he made one change in the 90 minutes Southgate, which was ironically bringing Sterling off uh, for Rashford, I think it might have been. Um, and the same outcome ensued. So what's been learned, if you like? Yeah, I think there definitely is learnings because he's, he's, he showed good game management in the Denmark game and, and also in the Germany game at the same time. But... It's a bigger stage, you know, and obviously a little bit more riding on it at the same time. And I think, you know, they talked about we planned for penalties, we're prepared for them. And obviously in the end, you know, some of the players felt they were and they stepped up and fair play to them for doing so because the weight of the nation on your shoulders. But I think Southgate is right to probably take responsibility for that because he watches it and he makes the ultimate, he makes the ultimate decision. And polarising is probably not the wrong word, but... I guess it's hard to reconcile with because Southgate, as a man, you know, got nothing but admiration and respect for him because, you know, you see the pictures of, you know, they're in recovery sessions in a jacuzzi, City and United fans sat together. There's none of this golden generation divide now. He's, he's almost made it like a club mentality. And to do that with players that compete with each other week in, week out, that don't see each other week in, week out in that sort of semi-social setting is absolutely phenomenal. Mm. Um, it's, you know, how he's managed to create that culture and that environment is fantastic. And one side of me thinks there's something to build on there for Qatar. But you're right in terms of when it gets to the big, big games, you know, right at the pointy end, the semi-finals and the finals, what has progressed? And it is really hard to put your finger on that, isn't it? Yeah. He is admirable bloke who conducts himself very well. Who, if you if you go back to the very start of the tournament, he has, you know, done well for himself. He's 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 had a good tournament. 
and and surprised a few people, including myself, with how well he's, he's, he's he, you know, got us got us to the final. And then it's just this, and I'm not sort of saying sack him or because I can't don't think there's an obvious candidate to come in, but um, I think I don't what one of the things is I don't see I don't go along with all this haven't we done fantastic and all the credit and yeah of course it's nice to see them all getting well and it does give you a little bit of hope because they are a band, a band of brothers if you like so at least they're all together so you know that the, there's no issues there's no cliques and they are trying the best which has not always been the case um, or that you know they're all you know they're all, they've got each other's back so that will give them a chance going forward but um, I don't go along with this. We haven't, haven't we done well? So, you know, let's not be critical in any sense or work out where it went wrong. Because if you don't work out where it's gone wrong, we'll be having the exact same conversation in eighteen months after Qatar when we've gone out in the quarterfinals when we should have got to the semis or out in the semis when we should have got to the final or lost in the final when we should have won the final. Yeah, that and the, the, that's the. Southgate's been very honest with himself immediately and said that he's considering his future, but he wants gut feeling as he wants to stay. But he has to ask himself, what is the point of getting to the pointy end and then not then dying wondering by not picking um, match winners? To or, and he also has to ask himself. Um, with the possible exception of Harry Kane, because I can understand why you're always going to want Harry Kane on the pitch, particularly as he can set penalties. I also ask him, has to ask himself, just because Ryan Sterling has done brilliantly for me, there comes a point in a tournament of seven games where a player is going to dip in form. Kane actually did it quite cleverly. With, with in a, he didn't mean to do it, but he had his bad games. He had his dip at the start, mm. and then he picked, if you like. And obviously he didn't sort of peak as high as he could, but he basically did okay towards the end, and if not very well. And but he had his bad patch for three games. Sterling's bad patch was, you know, the last two games. Although you know he affected the semi final, but he also missed an open net. Let's not forget, um, and nearly gave away a goal. He he was a man who was running on empty. In football history, I can think of a handful of players who have gone on to win a Euros or a World Cup and have been 8 out of 10 in every single game in a seven-match tournament. Mm. And we're talking Diego Maradona, we're talking Pele, we're talking Franz Beckenbauer. Raheem Sterling is not in that league. You can't play seven matches in a row, plus two extra times, and expect him not to sort of fade. And you could see that Sunday was a case of that, and he should have been off at half-time, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's well, where Southgate has to ask himself the hard question. You know, it's not like he was keeping on for penalties because, as we saw, he didn't take one. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be harsh, I, but I, I believe Sterling doesn't have the ball to take one. He he he's, he didn't get anywhere near taking one. Um, Southgate quite wisely has obviously practiced them. He's seen people who look confident. And he's picked those five guys, and he's not in that five. And we've when you all right, he's not got a terrible record in shootouts for City, but. You know, you won't. You don't expect him to score when he takes a penalty for City. Put it that way, um, in open play or when it really counts. But um, so, without hanging it all on, you know, on, on Raheem Sterling's door, then, which I'm certainly not trying to do. I'm trying to say this is where the manager needs to ask himself, where am I going wrong? You, you know, I'm ending up with um, one of. Well, at least one passenger on the pitch in a big match. Yeah, it's um, you know that decision maybe might have been a right one to take him off, especially if he wasn't going to take a penalty in the end. And um, you know, as we said before, Mancini did it with Immobile. You know, he's prepared to gamble. And I've got no problem with maybe being a bit pragmatic to the final and chucking the kitchen sink at it. You know, like you say, it's you, you don't want to die having never known, do you? Basically, that's right. Well, having, so you know, in eighteen months' time, clearly the team will evolve. Will we have? You no, know, Sterling's not going to go anywhere. He's still going to be second name on the team sheet. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure there's enough, well, all right. there's enough younger might, talent coming through to maybe evolve that, but, into that why, team. Why, if if you pick that team, the England team on form, then it, 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 he wouldn't have started the tournament. No. But he, he still started the tournament, and it worked. So 
full credit there, but he's just to me he just found his best form. But it was never going to last forever, and so you'd use that, you sort of ride that while it's lasting, and then you, you move on to somebody else. And we have in Foden and Grealish, um, and probably Sancho, players of the same level still, and just a little bit less experience. Um, in my opinion, Phil Foden should go on to be a better player than, than Ryan Sterling. Um, and, and the, you know, the other two have got great potential. So what will happen in, if, if, for instance, he remains fixated with Ryan Sterling, I just think it'll continue to be his Achilles heel eventually. It, it was a shame, really, with, with Foden not being involved because it, it needed somebody to manage the ball you know, a little bit higher up the pitch. You know, as I mentioned before, Declan Rice was phenomenal. Phillips sort of didn't so much start as much in the game as Declan Rice, but he definitely grew into it, certainly from a defensive point of view. They've been able to break down play, but to manage the game and keep the ball in their half and hopefully then build some pressure, it needed a Foden to, to pick the locks. It was a big shame that he wasn't in the squad, really. I mean, you can draw set pieces with a Jack Grealish all day long, but if, if, if Donnarumma's good enough to save three penalties, he's good enough to save three kicks from 25 yards as well. So that, 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 that was a bit of a Hail Mary at the same time. It's obviously very unfortunate. I'm always going to be you know, biased with Foden. You know, he's been great for City since he's, since, he's, uh, since he's taken off, hasn't he? But the other side of Southgate as well is, and you know, he started to insert himself into other issues at the outset of the tournament, didn't he? And we were going to talk about this in another, in another catch-up, but we never managed to get onto it, which, for example, was you know, the open letter. And I think when it comes to winning the tournament, and I guess that's what his job is and what he's paid to do, I think you're right to say the things that you've said. But it has created this interesting debate because he has given us a national team to be really proud of. He's, he's led that and he's done... He's gone in a lot of areas and done a lot of things that our politicians can't or won't do. And he's been phenomenal in that aspect, in particular, you know, backing the lads. And we were going to talk about sort of the Black Lives Matter thing. And I, I couldn't really pick up in the pub because it's been an ongoing debate through the tournament. I don't know if you could pick it up in your coverage. What happened with the taking of the knee and the booing of the anthem? I, I couldn't really pick that up my side. What, what happened in the final with that? don't think it was really an issue in the final, was it? Um, Italy took the knee as well and um, I don't think there was any moment where and it was more or less a non-issue in the final, really. I think it's been a little bit overinflated anyway. Um, I just think it doesn't take, it only takes, ten, only takes a handful of people to, 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 to boo and, it, um, and you can hear people booing, can't you? When, when when you've got a silent moment like a national anthem or five seconds before kickoff. Yeah, true. You know, and that probably, without going into the rights or wrongs of it, I just think that probably shows that that's. I think most sensible people probably take the view that the players are doing it for the right reasons, and you know, there's always going to be a few who will decide against that and make the the feelings heard. Yeah, um, I think it's so. I think it's only been a little bit sort of overinflated. Anyway, um, it wasn't like, you know, how many people at Middlesbrough were booing in those two friendlies? There was only eight thousand people in the ground. You know, probably eighty. So, if you if you if it really offends you that people want to boo it, and you don't think they've got a right to do it, then that's bad. But if you're open-minded and think you can sort of see that those eighty people have got it into head that those players. Are, um, are protesting against the less savoury aspects, the less positive, constructive aspects of BLM, then that's reasonable enough. Yeah, I, I think, you know, to, to, to boo something, you must be wholeheartedly against, like, to be specific here, like the whole seven things, the whole seven aims that, that Black Lives Matter has. And I, I can't mm. understand. I mean, if you are against all seven of them, you, you probably are racist. You've got to be in at least agreement with some of them. Even the more extreme ones, and there's a big misunderstanding of what defund the police means. It doesn't mean, you know, take things away so they can't protect themselves. It means divert funds to areas for rehabilitation and for social enhancement so there's less crime. You know, the, the, when we saw that last year after the George Floyd killings, you know, a lot of the stuff that people were saying was, was totally uneducated. And it's a really interesting one because obviously these players are showing solidarity with each other and other players in the squad that have suffered racial abuse. I understand that. One contributor on the Guardian podcast, who was, was a black person, he was saying as well, you know, he, he's starting to think twice about does he go because 
if there's booing, that's not an inclusive environment. And as a spectator, that's what you should, I think you should expect in a country that's considered progressive and equal as the UK, you know, claims it, claims it to be. So it's interesting with the gesture and with them participating in it, because I think it has good intentions, but if it's going to make, you know, a certain part, a certain demographic, then feel uncomfortable because others can't handle it. What do you do with that? Do you, do you, do you give up and not do the gesture anymore? And then, and then you're giving in and, you know, the racists have won or do you change it? Or I think the, the underlying thing I find really hard is when politicians say, keep politicians out of football where or sport for that matter, yet they're all too happy to insert themselves into it. And it's a little bit, it's a little bit hypocritical when I find that happening. You know, Gareth Southgate is a citizen of the UK. He's a voter and he has a job like you do or like I do. And we can go into the workplace and talk about these things and wear a badge or whatever we want to. So I don't see any problem with a footballer, you know, kind of making these stands at the same time, particularly when failing politicians are, uh, you know, demonstrating, I'll use their own words in the case of Pretty Patel, gesture politics you know what i mean i can't stand for that you, you do your own job right first before you start commenting on the players and certainly don't jump on the bandwagon when they're enjoying a little bit of success at the end. I, I, I can't i can't really stomach that one if you know what i mean you know it's not quite the grounds are not full of overt racists at this point who you, you know you everywhere you look you, the next person to you is a racist I think that's, you need a bit more than that not to want to go to a football match. Um, you know, the, you add in the general tribalism in football, and there's, there's, if you sit in a football crowd and you're part of the home crowd, then you know there's a string of you know unsavoury things said during ninety minutes about anything from the referee to the you know to the to the wives of the opposition players. You know, it's, it's full of it. It's you have to be a little bit more thick-skinned than that just to not want to watch football on that basis, I think. Yes or no, what we're talking about here is a member of the black community saying, if this is where it started and this is where it's heading, I'm thinking twice about going because, you know, there comes a point where I might feel threatened by that or do I take my kids and do I want them exposed to that kind of environment? I can understand yeah. that. You know, yeah, when... you, you can, yeah, you want to sort of think about it and you also don't want to walk blindly into it and say, oh, that's a surprise, I've just realise there's a lot of racists there. Of course you do, yeah, but, you know, as I say, as it stands, yeah, I mean, for that person you mentioned, let's say, you know, you're an Arsenal supporter, for instance, and you're a little bit worried about it, you know, just see how the first match of the season goes. Maybe don't go to that and, you know, if there's next to no booing, then I wouldn't see that as a valid reason to worry about the next game. But (laughs) if you're at a club where there's a lot of booing, you know, and you might get, uh, you know, in a, and and you and you hear that on the TV before the first match of the season at your your club it might be time to think seriously about going to the second match. But uh, I think it's a little bit a little bit much to suggest at the moment that it's necessary to go to those lengths. I, th- I think the point is you shouldn't even really be considering it. You know, maybe it shouldn't be happening because you know. I use I use a, a, a non-social issue because it's not a political issue for me. It's an equality issue that yeah. anybody should be able to go. It's not a political one. It's it's an equality one. And I look at something where I hold an opinion on something totally different, but to make the point when Tevez was exiled from City and he came back, people booed him when he came on the pitch. He set up the goal that Nasri scored that put us back in the title race. I did nothing. I just folded my arms. I didn't agree with him coming back, but I wasn't going to boo him because he was a player of the club. Just be neutral about it. That's, it's just as easy to do that as it, is, as it is to boo. And if you're against, as we said before, and I think most people would agree on, if you're all against all those seven things that Black Lives Matter stand for, you probably are a racist. And again, we're talking about you know, a, a social setting that's part of the national fabric, the national game. I think you should be able to go and watch that with those things kind of left out of it. You know, a... Uh, 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 a person from any demographic or background, you know, race, gender, sexuality, age, whatever, should not feel like there's a there's, there's a part of a crowd that's demonstrating an opinion on that. And if we go back to, I'm not saying racism in football and in crowds has only just started now, but if we go back to none of this kind of en masse around this to some now, it's going in the wrong direction. So at some point, you've got to nip it in the bud. 
the politicians coming out saying, yeah, you know, support Bruno Nunes. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not on board with that. But I guess the hard thing for the players is, and we touched on this, is the players do have views and they do have values, and I think they're showing the right. I think they're showing positive values and positive intentions with what they're doing. But we talked about the Qatar World Cup coming up, and there's a lot of you know, human rights issues attached to that with, there's not 35 people that died, it's, it's more like in the thousands. And are these players, when it comes down to their personal agenda of wanting to win the highest medal that you can win in the sport, are they going to boycott the World Cup? You know, a Gareth Southgate's, you know, beacon of light player's going to boycott that World Cup. And I don't see that happening. So that's going to be interesting. Well, yeah, to I mean, it's a very, uh, you know, important point you just brought up. Because uh, we went back to, I think it was the February round of international friendlies, or March, and a lot of the teams were suddenly standing up for the rights of uh, migrant workers in Qatar, with T-shirts. And Germany did it, England did something, the Dutch did something um, before they played Gibraltar, and there might have been others. But you know, you've got three huge nations there who've all made a stance, and then all of a sudden. Well, the first question was, where, why has it taken the deaths of hundreds of years to get to this point to even do this very small thing? And then, secondly, what's happen, what's going to happen to it going forward? Now, obviously, there's a, we've just had a tournament, and you can't expect you know, everybody to sort of down tools and just start worrying about people in Qatar because they've the to- get the tournament out of the way. But when the next set of games are played in September, is there going to be... Is there going to be a, is it going to be the start or part two of a, a concerted effort to make the Qatar authorities uncomfortable? And But as you just said, it's, it's not going to get to the point where they're all going to sort of... It's far too late now for them to... Too much damage has been done. And most of the stadiums are finished anyway, so it's not, not like people are dying every five minutes now. That, um, are we going to get to the point where there's going to be a tournament boycott? Mm. There's not. These players really, if they're serious, to me, they shouldn't. If what they did in February or March was it, and they've got nothing else planned, they shouldn't. They, they might as well have not bothered, mm. because unless they were prepared to go to the lens of saying, right, this tournament should not be happening under those circumstances, and we're going to have stage our own tournament held in England or wherever it might be or Germany, and sob the consequences, what is the point? I'd be interested to see where that goes because. Meaningful process, I just don't see it happening, as you just suggested. Well, I think the answer is nowhere, isn't it? You know, that's the thing. The answer is yeah. the answer is nowhere. But, so. but I mean, and all right, we we were, we were more or less talking about the England squad, and yeah, you know, they, they make good noises, and they're all they're all on the same page, and Southgate's led that, and you know, perhaps England can just be a little bit. I think that what I just mentioned there was mainly instigated by the Dutch squad. Maybe England can just be a little bit more come up with a way of leading this one. Um, obviously falling short of not playing in the tournament because sadly they're just not going to get 15 other teams who are going to pull out and make a World Cup mm. you know, stage simultaneously elsewhere. Yeah, indeed. It'll be interesting to uh, to see how that then plays out. And of course, I guess just coming back to the fan issue, you know, I'm not laying it all at the door England fans there. I know there's been you know, problems with you know, Black Lives Matter stuff and especially, um, you know, sexual equality in other countries, you know, in Hungary and um, in in Russia at the same time. But, yeah, it's football. Enjoy it. It's a nice thing, you know, festival feeling. And I really felt like we kind of had that at the start. And I guess, we, you know, we, we, we still do. But I just don't like it when, you know, it's tainted with stuff like that. It's just not necessary. It's people coming in trying to push often negative agendas when... It's just not the time or the place for it. So I'm not laying it all on the England fans' doorstep there, but obviously some of the scenes that played out before and after the game, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how the Met Police and the FA respond to that because, you know, it's like you said before, and I, I sort of see where you're coming from, but I sort of respectfully disagree at the same time. You know, it's only a small crowd, start portion of the crowd booing. It only takes, you know, um, you know, a pebble to turn into a snowball eventually and you look at what was happening on Sunday in real time and you can look at it and clearly see you know what would I don't know if it's appropriate to compare and also be careful what I say but 
let's open the gate because a football match is going to kick off at 15 minutes and you have a Hillsborough or let's let in too many people and a ground collapses like the you know the politicians police the FA they've got a bigger duty of care and responsibility to fans than probably what they've shown over the last couple of weeks and yeah the fans have got to to take some responsibility in that you know there's videos going around of people doing keys of cocaine on fountains in squares and the mess like if England thinks he's got any chance of hosting a World Cup I mean it probably will because football's just rife with corruption as far as money's concerned but yeah it's just I, I, I always think you know I won't go to Qatar 22 got a little one on the way I'd love to go to Germany in 2024 love to go to America kid a bit older maybe you know and I, I watch all of the the the, the, the stuff going on you know over the last couple of weeks and think God I'd love to be back home it does make you feel a bit homesick but after what I've seen in the last couple of days if that's what a tournament looks like in England I think I'll pass thanks yeah I think in, from your point of view you've sort of got your best way to look at it is that you're not sort of embroiled in negativity and the, the unsavoury side you can you're in a country where you know you they like the football and you can watch your football and you know you can fellow English speakers are everywhere and you can chat about football but you can you can sort of cherry pick try and enjoy the good bits without having to sort of be depressed by the bad bits because you're not you know it's not almost on your doorstep so I suppose that's probably the, the most positive way you can look at it there you know in the, in the place where you happen to be so but I just think, you're right football should be enjoyed but as far as the racism issue goes then been very slow on the uptake, the authorities. You know, there's been people, people have been singled out for doing stuff at football matches and basically banned from football. You know, maybe maybe serving a little bit of time, but not much. Maybe getting a hefty fine, you know, in court, but nothing that's destroying, that's really making people sit up and think. You know, people start more, you know, proper weeding out of these people needs to take place and they need to start to be serving some some time for for what they're doing so that other people think twice about it. And, uh, you know, it just needs a bit more bravery on the part of the, the stewarding system to sort of say, you know, and and you, you'll, 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 you'll no doubt get a situation where a person in the front row is, is hurling abuse at a black player as he's taking a corner kick and there's a person ten rows back who's hurling the same abuse. But, and you can't arrest them all, but you've got to start somewhere. You know, if, somebody, if a steward hears a season ticket holder saying something that should not be said, and it's not like you're short of witnesses, it, you know, the rest of the, the people who are sat nearby then need to take responsibility. It's not like it's difficult to trace these people and get witness statements from them. Just arrest one person who does that and just pick them off one by one. It's a start. Yeah, it's almost like there's too many of them, so we can't arrest one because we can't arrest them all. So we'll leave, you know, who, who's the one that you pick and you wonder. Exactly you know, right, this... exactly right. And it's like, it's almost, if it's a chant, then you can't prove it because somebody would just claim that they're, you know, they're Stood in the middle of it and weren't singing. They're not, not even saying the words. But when an individual says something, and it, we, we have seen it happen, as I've just said, where people have been, you know, dealt with for doing it. Just deal with it a bit on a bit more of a systematic, regular basis. Yeah, consistency, I think, is the, 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 the key. But, you know, it goes back to how do you deal with it. There'll probably still be a lot of passivity within crowds. I don't want to be a witness to that. No statement. I didn't hear anything. And it's not going to help, as I mentioned before. If you've got an institutional level within the government, what appears to be at least elements of racism when senior politicians are coming out saying what they're doing and condoning the things that they've yeah. condoned in yeah. the last couple of weeks. That has to change. Well, well, yeah, all right. It's been like many things. It's not been led well from a, on a government level. But I'm led to believe that Tottenham's new ground, for instance, there isn't a nook or a cranny that isn't covered by CCTV. Now, if you get a steward um, convinced that somebody's behaved inappropriately um, at, for instance, Tottenham, then you'll have CCTV. CCTV to back it up yep. with a lip reader available to confirm what that person said. Yep. If not, or if not audio, um, you know, surely we're getting to that point now where, you know, these are the sort of things that have to, if you if you're going to take it serious, you you, you use it. Big Brother's here, isn't it? 
Well, just coming coming back to the football briefly then before we wrap up, what has been your, I think they give it to Donna Rummer, the player of the tournament. Did you reckon that was, was fair after a number of clean sheets and his penalty escapades and being on the winning side? It's probably hard to argue with that, isn't it? Who would have been in the mix for you along with him? Well, I suppose you really have to give it to a, an Italian and, and, and have no qualms with that. They were the best. They did deserve to win the tournament. Uh, who were their best players? Um, Chiesa definitely, you know, um, emerged from more or less nowhere to, you know, wasn't not think he was. Don't think he was in the first eleven for the Turkey game, was he? Uh, didn't start that, mm. and he, he played very well. And he, he just felt that he uh, he was a dangerous player who was you know going to make something happen, and he did on a regular occasion. So I suppose him, or, as you say, Donnarumma, um, the two centre backs were pretty. Awesome. Um, keeper's only young, isn't he? Um, I suppose yeah. if you, you know, we look at Benz's 22. Um, very, very good for his age. And, um, you know, probably if you look at Buffon, he, he might be around for another 15 years. <laughs> so, um, I'm, I'll, 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 I'll sort of fudge it and cheat and I'll, I'll give it to Roberto Mancini. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I probably would find it hard to argue with Donnarumma, but probably the player that's been probably most exciting to watch probably has been Chiesa, especially in the, in the latter rounds. You, you, got, you do have to give a mention to Sterling. He's been a big part of England getting where they get to, even if you know do have reservations about him as a player. And we kind of have the, the bias the other way because we've seen him frustrate us a little bit yeah. for, for City as well. Just waiting to see who's going to pay €90 million Euros for Patrick Schick. Waiting for that to hit the, the, transfer, the transfer news soon. And what's been your, your probably, you know, your, your your positive, you know, sort of nice, fluffy, warm moment out of the out of the tournament? Would you would you say because these tournaments can be full of them every now and again? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I agree on Sterling. He's definitely in the team of the tournament. Um, the I suppose the Ericsson thing was it's the obvious one to say, but you know, there was a you felt. You know, a little bit of genuine human reaction from footballers, rather than um, the opposite, which we often accuse footballers of. Uh, you know, just uh, being rather self-centred was one of them. I've, I've, nothing's coming straight to mind. Uh, probably as soon as we stop stop speaking, I'll think of something that. <laughs> I think. I, yeah, I think. Just to prove to any podcast listeners that these things aren't totally contrived. Indeed, <laughs> and it, it's probably a, a nice place to end. Is that nice moment from the start? Not that the tournament wasn't full of other nice mini moments at the same time as well. But I probably, uh, I probably concur with you on that point, particularly when the Danish and the Finnish fans were, were chanting the Christian Eriksson sort of back and forth. Because I imagine it was very tense in the ground at that time, and that sort of solidarity from the Finnish fans, from opposition fans, was probably something really nice for the Danish fans to 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 be on the end of. And yeah, I think I, you know we've got to hold on to, despite some of the events from the last couple of days, and some English people being slightly sore losers, and you know some of the yeah lines being blurred between the politics and football. That yeah, there have been some nice moments throughout the tournament as well, and it probably has been, you know, it's been a pretty good tournament. So yeah. on to the next one, I guess. Yeah, rather like our podcast. In far from perfect, far from perfect, but on the whole, very good. Yeah, <laughs> indeed, very enjoyable. Look forward to the stars racking up on the on the on the iTunes recommendations or wherever you listen to your podcasts, for that matter. <laughs> Lovely. All right. Well, with that, we'll say adieu for now. It's been fun and at times right. emotional. Thanks. And thank you very Thanks much. For, Thanks for sharing it. Thank you.